0: You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. Thrive. I want to thrive, not just survive. I'm really inspired by by the lyrics of this song by Switchfoot. You ever listen to Switchfoot? They're a great band. If you like good rock and roll, they're pretty awesome. Um, But this concept, I want to thrive not just survive. is something that um, I really am excited about where we are as a church family right now. Because I don't know if you know a whole lot of the history of where our church came from. We're not even like quite a year and a half old. And uh, there was a time when there was just a few of us meeting in a living room. and, And I think a lot of us in that little space when we met around town, we had this vision of what if what if more people could get on board with what we're doing and what if we could be a part of a community of people that are excited about not only being a church but being a church that has got a big focus on Tearing down walls that would keep people away from church and trying to get them involved. I had a, um, I got a friend who is involved in a church similar to this, and he said, you know, church for people who don't like church is kind of like creating a steak restaurant for vegetarians. Like, why would anyone want to go to that? That's, I hate meat. Why would I go? And I think that's the way some people feel about church and about God. Like, why would I even want to go to church? Why, why would you have a church for people who don't like church? I wouldn't go. I don't like church. Which is what I hope is something that some of you have experienced. I know some of you have. And that it's not just what happens on Sunday morning. But it's what happens throughout the rest of the week. I love to see this past week when our church was able to come together after the tragedy at the YMCA and say, you know, let's just meet at the park. Let's just hang out. But then to hear the conversations that happened afterwards and to watch people that had previously not been friends, didn't know each other, and are suddenly hanging out for like an hour or two and going to grab lunch afterwards. It's about community. It's about sharing life together. It's about realizing and recognizing and admitting that I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. But I've got to believe that life is more than just getting by. There's got to be more to life than just like, man, we can just make it one more paycheck. We can just make it to one more 3 o'clock and school's out. We can just make it to one more 5, 30, 6 o'clock and work's out. See, there's these moments in our life that I feel like we should be thriving in and we're just instead forced to just survive. You ever been on that family vacation? You know, you're with the in-laws. Like, it's the one where the whole crew goes. Like, it's all the cousins and uncles and aunts, and you're all, you rented a beach house, which somebody thought was a great idea. And then you just throw in, it's like 12 bedrooms, and then Uncle Ted's in public making, like, crass jokes, and you're like, I don't know him. And it's Tuesday, and you're like, I just, I just gotta make three more days, three more days, three more days, not killing my cousins. You know, you know that, you know that family vacation? You should be thriving, you should be loving it, but instead you're just like, I just gotta, I just gotta make it. I just gotta make it to Friday. Maybe, maybe that's more of your memory of high school. Do you remember high school? Some of you, it was a long time ago. But do you remember high school where you were just like, man, if I could just make it through the day without being picked on, without being humiliated, without feeling stupid, everyone else around me seemed to have it all together. They got it academically together, emotionally together, socially together. I'm just waiting for the bell to ring. And, you, and you're just surviving, right? I, def, I had seasons of my school life that was like that, especially my parents. Uh, be, my dad was in the military. We moved around a lot. And I remember in my elementary years, I'd be in a school for like a year and I'd just be like, man, I just hate this, I hate this. I just want to go back to the other place that I used to hate because I just, a, I just don't want to do this. We should be thriving, but instead we're just surviving. We're just getting by. And I, I think that this kind of thing happens in a lot of areas of our life. Marriage can be that way. If you're married, you know that every day isn't, uh, you know, a picnic, right? There's some days you're just like, man, if we, what's happening? What's happening in this moment? In fact, if you're in a moment right now where maybe you're in a, a marriage that's kind of falling apart, or there's uncertainty, and you're just you're not sure if it's going to survive. You feel me? That's, that's just life. And so inside all of us know there's got to be something different. There's got to be something where we're not just trying to get by. I'm trying to thrive. I'm trying to make it. And I'm trying to have a life that is fulfilling. And so I'm excited today to start this new teaching series called Thrive, cultivating a vibrant life in God. And the whole concept is this, God does intend for us to thrive. There's passages in the Bible that say things, for instance, uh, that he wanted to give us life to the full. And that doesn't mean that we'd be rich and famous and popular and all that, but that our life would be rich and vibrant and it'd be worth living. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about that concept. When I think about, uh, thriving, I typically think, you know, plants you know, vegetables and, and trees, and, and there are some components that go into a thriving garden, for example. you got to have good soil. The root system needs to be good. You need to have the right amount of nutrients and water and sunlight. You know, all these things go into a thriving life. It's not just a magic pill that you shove in the ground and it pops up. It's not a magic beanstalk, is it? I mean, there, it takes work. And so life is that way too. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going through several elements that it, I believe that if we begin to cultivate that life that we have, we can begin to see and understand what it is that God really wants us to do with our life and how we can thrive and not just get by. The word thrive, I'm going to give you a definition in case that's not a word you use a lot. It's something we can kind of throw around. It's simple. It means to grow vigorously or to flourish. Does it give you a picture? You ever seen one of those rose bushes with like 20,000 roses on it? Or have you ever had a family member with a black thumb and they couldn't grow you know, a potato in the closet if they tried? And so the, 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 the difference there is, one, it's thriving, it's producing this fruit, it's got these flowers, it's awesome. And then on the other end, it's not. To grow vigorously, to flourish. Guys, as a church family, I think that we individually can thrive. I think it takes leaning on each other. I think it takes uh, intentionally cultivating our lives. And, and I think that over the next few weeks, we'll be able to really dig into that. What does it take for us to thrive? So we're going to be in the Bible, as always. I love every week to get the opportunity to open up the Bible and look at what God has to say to us and, uh, and answer some of the questions of life's hardest questions. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, um, I don't know where the free ones are. Some of them are under your chairs, and I'm guessing the rest of them are over here by the, the city team table. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, please take one home with you. I love seeing you come back, some of you that bring the Bibles that you got free from church and reading them throughout the week, and they're all marked up and stuff in them. That's awesome. That's exactly what we want. People need Bibles in their hands. If you don't don't have a Bible, we got the verses up on the screen behind us. Um, But we're going to be looking at something that Jesus said that I think will get us started in this whole conversation about what it means to thrive in life. And so we're going to be in the book of Luke. Luke is in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, There are four books in the Bible, uh, as I've said many times before, four books in the Bible that are basically biographies of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be in Luke. It's in the New Testament, right about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And as we approach that text today, uh, I want to kind of give you some context. Uh first of all, when you when you find Luke chapter eight, in the broader context, Jesus has had a busy day. You ever have one of those days where it's just like one thing after the other, it's an appointment, an appointment, an appointment, a thing, a thing, a thing. So this is what Jesus is. We have one of those days. Jesus had several of those days if you look through the Bible. And he's having one of those days, he'd already had a moment where he had uh, there was a, a blind guy who needed to be healed. And so Jesus did a miracle and healed the blind guy. That's pretty cool. That's a day's work as far as I'm concerned. Like, hang up your shoes, call it a day. But that was like, I guess he started the day that way. Not only that, but the guy had some demons in his life. And so he cast the demons out. I don't know how you feel about miracles, whether or not Jesus actually did them. I don't know how you feel about demons and spiritual stuff. But you can't talk about Jesus without talking about that stuff because that's the stuff that it, that he did and that he claimed to do and that I believe that he did. And so he did. So that was his morning, And then later on, he runs into these religious leaders who were always trying to hold him down. And uh, they were always like, you know, yeah, prove us that you have the authority to say what you're saying. And so Jesus literally this day, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase, but he's kind of like, dude, guys, I got a lot going on today. Like I got some things to get to. I know, I know you want to just kind of fight with me right now. But so what he says is if you want to see that I am who I, I say that I am, just stick around, because I'm actually going to die, and then I'm going to raise from the dead. And that should pretty much prove it. And then he just kind of walks away. I love that scene with Jesus, so you can look at that too if you want to. Um, and then, kind of at the climax of this busy day, there's more that's going to happen in the evening. Jesus is walking around in this region called Galilee. Galilee is a big lake in the northern part of Palestine. And he's walking around this region, and all around the lake there are these towns and villages. And, I'm, and for days, he'd been walking from village to village, from town to town, and just teaching. He was a rabbi. A rabbi means teacher. That's what he did. He'd walk from town to town, village to village. And he'd just be sharing who he was. And he was talking about the love of God. And specifically, he was talking about something he called the kingdom of God. He'd say things like, the kingdom of God is coming. I'm establishing the kingdom of God. You need to quit sinning because the kingdom of God is going to need people who have decided that they're going to stop living in sin. These are the things he's saying. And as he goes from village to village, people are hearing him talk. And they go... This guy's amazing. Like the things he says are blowing my mind. And so he would do his little thing there. He'd talk and I don't know how long it would take, but then he would pack up and leave. And the people from this village over here would go, I'm going to follow that guy. And they would, they would just, mom, I'm going to, yeah. And they would just leave. And then so from village to village, he would pick up a few people here, a few people there. So he amassed quite a following during that time period. This is the days leading up to this busy day. And then, not only that, people who were really excited about what Jesus was saying, they had relatives in the village that they were walking towards. So they would run ahead and they would go, this guy, Jesus, oh my goodness, you got to come out and listen to him. I'm going to follow him until he's done walking. And so they would do that and they would tell their cousins and their friends and their everybody to come out and then they would listen to Jesus and a few more people would follow Jesus. So by the time we get to the Sea of Galilee in Luke chapter 8, Jesus has this huge crowd. So he borrows a boat from, from friends, some friends there. And he has them push the boat out into the lake a little bit. And he has them anchor the boat. And he stands on the boat. And he addresses the crowd. Two weeks ago, before the fire, I talked about a scene where Jesus was kind of on the side of a hill or a mountain. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount. This is a second arena, which is is very iconic for Jesus. A lot of his teaching happens in this one moment while he's in the boat. And through Luke chapter 8, we're going to get a... Kind of a a smattering of Jesus' teaching, all these different things. And throughout it, he's going to teach in a form called parables. Okay? So finally, that was the setup. It was a lot. But it kind of gives you a picture of where Jesus is coming from, where all these people came from, and why he's about to say what he's going to say. Because he's saying, I'm starting this new kingdom. I'm initiating it. You want to know what it's all about? Let me tell you. So for the rest of chapter 8. He does this, this series of parables. Parables are kind of like these extended metaphors uh, that just use illustrations to uh, take a, a godly, a heavenly principle and kind of bring it down on an earthly level. It's just the way we, we talk anyway. We use metaphors, we use analogies. And so this analogy, this parable begins in Luke chapter 8, verse 4. Okay, it's going to be on the screen, and Jesus begins. It says, while a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seeds. As as he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path. It was trampled on. The birds ate it up. Some of the seeds fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants were withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up with it. The thorns grew up with the plant that they were planted, but choked the plants. Still some other seed fell on the good soil, and it came up, and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let them hear. Remember that phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear. And so he starts out with this story. In first century agriculture, um, you know, you get planting seeds, you plant a seed, it grows. Uh, The way they would do it is the farmer would go out with like an apron full of seeds. And whereas now we have the nice neat rows, they would just kind of come out and they would just take the seeds and just scatter them. Scatter them all over the field. Everywhere. Everywhere. Because anywhere where there's viable soil, you want a seed. Why? Because you want food. Like you're hungry later and you know that because you've lived enough life to realize, I want to plant seed everywhere I can plant seed. So they're scattering and scattering. Inevitably, some seed is going to fall in places where it's not going to grow the best. But they're scattering the seed. Now, when we think about gardening today, uh, we, we don't. We, gardening is kind of like a summer hobby for most people. Uh, we do farming on a massive scale. I mean, you're talking acres and acres of perfectly manicured rows of, you know, crops of corn or, or, or cotton or soybean or whatever it is. And there's this, this machinery and they use GPS and they've got this chemistry and this pH of the soil and everything figured out. You know, it's like it's, it's, it's a major industry to the point where now you, you eat some vegetables somewhere, you don't know where it came from. You have no idea where those vegetables came from. You're like, ah, the country somewhere? Idaho? Is Idaho a country? I'm not sure. I have no idea, but this is a wonderful French fry. Like, and so that's kind of where we are. But back then, if you had a vegetable, you knew exactly. It probably came from our garden or the neighbor's garden. or We got it at the market, and we know, we know Jebediah. He sells tomatoes. And so um, in more rural areas, of course, we have it here, and also especially in first century Palestine where Jesus is talking. Farming wasn't some industry that happened somewhere else. It was something that everyone had hands in at some point. Some part of your industry had to incorporate into how the agriculture industry worked or what you were going to eat. And so as he speaks to this crowd, they get what he's saying. And they've all seen their granddad throw seeds. Or maybe they were farmers, some of them themselves. We're next to the the Sea of Galilee. Many of them were fishermen. Uh, But most of them would have had some access to serious farming. I want you to think about this. Seeds... Have you ever planted a single seed and watched it grow? I love it. Look at this picture. This is a hand with tomato seeds in it. You see those things? There's a certain variety of tomatoes. But you won't find, actually, some of you have eaten uh, cheeseburgers with tomatoes in them. You know, there's, a little, there's little things inside the tomato. Yeah, those are seeds. Yeah, and so that's what these things are. And you plant them and they become, but here's the cool thing about this. Those little bitty seeds have this amazing potential. Because that seed can grow into a plant that can produce dozens and dozens of tomatoes. In fact, if you want to get real philosophical about it, I mean, that one seed could be the father of generations of plants, really. You know, I mean, you plant a seed, it grows, and it grows a tomato. Inside the tomatoes, more seeds. You plant that seed, it's more tomatoes, more seeds. It's amazing, but here's the catch. It has to start growing first. Like, that seed right there has got all this potential, but until it can catch some roots and begin to grow and produce fruit... Nothing happens. The potential is lost. And so, as Jesus is talking to his people, what he's not talking about is the seed. He's not talking about the seed. He's talking about the soil. The soil is what import, what's important. I, I want to just kind of outline there's four types of soil that Jesus talks about here. He first talks about the path. The path is, is where the seeds never have a chance to grow. Okay? We'll get to that in just a second. He's got the rocky soil. The rocky soil, uh, the seeds kind of get a start, but there's a rock in there, and so or there's rocks under the soil. They'll be up here. You can put them up. The, this, the path is gone, and then here comes the rocky soil. Under the rocky soil, is, uh, you know, there's some, something in the ground that's causing it to not be able to dig in and get good roots and grow. The third is the thorns. You know, The, the plants don't actually die right away, but as they come up, they have to grow alongside a weed. I, I'm going to call them weeds and thorns because they kind of are in the same family. And they steal nutrients from the plants, and they choke it out, and it dies. And then the fourth soil is the good soil, which is ideal. It's ideal. Now, he's going to use a metaphor from this. If you've heard this parable before, you've probably heard it taught in many different ways. Here's what I want to encourage you to do if you've heard this before. Jesus says, if you have ears, listen, okay, because this is serious. This is actually not just a cool parable like Dr. Seuss or or like Mother, Mother Goose. This is something that can really help us to thrive in our life. The goal is that we have seeds fall into good soil so that it can grow. So in a lot of Jesus' teachings, when he talks in parable form, you kind of have to read between the lines and sort of guess what he's talking about. Not a lot of them, but there's a few where you're kind of like, well, I can see where he's talking about this. I can make the, the point. This is a cool one because Jesus actually comes straight out and explains the parable to us. And so instead of me doing a whole lot of teaching today, we're going to let Jesus do all the teaching. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 8, now verse 11. And here's, here's Jesus. He's going to explain this parable. Verse 11. He said, this is the meaning of the parable. First, he says, the seed is the word of God. Okay, so it's like this farmer or the sower, the farmer or the sower, he is throwing this seed. And, and the seed is the word of God. It's God's truth. It represents the things that God wants us to know. And so in many ways, anyone who is standing and speaking God's truth, they're like a sower. In fact, right now, I'm reading the Bible and I'm sharing it with you. And so as I'm speaking truths of God, it's as if those things are seeds falling into your lap. And you have decided what to do with them. And then he goes on in verse 12. He says, uh, well, well, I'll, I'll make the clear point. Basically, the people that are hearing the seed are like the soil that received the seed. So he's going to explain the four soils. Verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. So they may not believe and be saved the path around these fields where you plant your seed. I mean, there'd be paths you would walk around them and you see them in Wilmington all the time, up Market Street uh, and all the way up and down till downtown. There's places where there's sidewalk and then there's places where there's not sidewalk where there's not sidewalk. People have been walking for generations and the dirt is packed tight. You've seen this, right? It's how trails happen. And so these people were very familiar with trails, as you are, and they would surround the farm, you know, where you throw the seed because you don't walk through someone's garden. You walk around it. And after generations, the path has been built. This guy casting the seed out into the soil, some of the seed is going to fall on the path. And it makes it really easy for the birds to come in and scoop it up and the mice to come and carry it away. And Jesus says, those seeds are the word of God. And some people are like a path. They're like a path where the soil's packed tight. Maybe their heart is not receptive to whatever it is God has to say. You know, this is a group of people who really doesn't have much of a desire to hear what God has to say. I've got friends. In fact, I've had times in my life, but I've got friends still um, who, man, I want to talk to them about what I'm thinking about God and, and, and what He's doing in my life. But as I talk to them, Literally, their words have been, I don't have time for that. I'm not going to talk to you about that. I, I want to kind of address this because it might be that you're in the room right now and for whatever reason you came because you loved your wife or you loved your husband or you brought your kids and you just came to church. Or maybe, uh, I, I don't know what brought you to church on Sunday morning, but it might be a little bit that when people talk about God, you kind of, I don't know. It, it, it gives you the heebie-jeebies and you just don't want to think about it. And look, I want you to know that, that's something that's, you got your reasons. And I'm not going to patronize anybody and pretend like I understand their reasons. Maybe you've had a bad experience. Maybe you've just decided in, in your mind that something's not worth listening to. I don't know. I don't know. But when Jesus talks about this, he says, The thing about the path is that when the seeds hit it, they can't take root. They can't even sink into the soil. And the birds just fly off with it. He says, The devil comes and steals the truth. Kind of heavy words. It's kind of crazy. But here's, here's what I want to say to anyone. This is something you can share with your friends if they're in this boat. Um, there might be some really dumb reasons that Christians have caused that have made people not open to the Word of God. You might have friends who are like, I don't want to go to church because, man, my grandma used to beat me over the head with the Bible, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to church because I think all Christians do is judge people and look down on them and talk trash about them. And my, I don't know. And if, if that happens to you, here's what, here's what I want to say. If that happens to be you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you've had that experience. But I want to say this. It's still soil you could take those paths and man, you could do work on those soil and you could soften it up and man the seed can get in there i'm gonna tell you as someone who's living with experience in my life that when i let the truth of god sink in it changes me it helps me to thrive and so i don't know if that's you I, that's all i can say i hope that you'll come back and hang out with us some more but if you've got friends man that's something that you can just be aware of it's going to take some cultivating it's going to take some love it's going to take a little bit of a little bit of time Jesus moves on and talks about a second soil. This is verse 13. He said, those on the rocky ground are those who receive the word with joy in their heart, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. See, some people are like rocky soil. I think this is where the most of us lie. In fact, I would go on on record as saying all of us are rocky soil to some degree, because this is what happens. God's truth comes into us. We hear it all over the place. Maybe your grandma beat you over the head with the Bible. And it did sink in a little bit. But there's something there. Like there's there's something there in your life. That as, as the truth of God starts to take root in you. Something stops it from growing. And, and it could be a number of things. It, it could be just a fear. It could be a doubt. A simple thing. It could be an addiction that you're battling with. It could be kind of this, uh, this thing that you're ashamed of. A sin that you're just like. I, I know that if. If people know about this, I, I can't talk about that. And as those roots of God begin to kind of get into your life and you start to feel, and I love what it says, they spring up for a second, but you hear it with joy, but you can't take root. I would call those hang-ups. I would call those walls, those rocks. Those things are distractions. Those are the things that come in and just, man, there's something good that could be happening in us, but... Instead, we just do what we can to get by. Sometimes it's sin in our life, it's also sometimes stuff that just gets in the way. I, I, I like that Jesus said that there's no moisture, so the roots couldn't grow. That was in the first verse when he said that. You got these rocks in your life, uh, and, and they're small, and maybe, maybe you can kind of work around them. I'm telling you what, what Jesus is saying is left unchecked, your roots can't grow, and the plant will die. And so these are the things that are coming in our life. They're rocks. I, I will admit I've got rocks in my life, and I'm constantly trying to dig them up. I, I saw a cool article I was reading a couple of weeks ago about this. And, uh, you know, when pioneers would come to new areas, whether it was in America or anywhere around the world, you'd have to first cultivate the soil. And they'd get in there, and they'd start digging up the rocks. The cool thing is that the more you dug up the rocks, the more viable the soil was. But the neat thing was they could take those rocks, and they could then go to the edge of the field and build a wall out of the rocks. And in that moment, it's really neat because I know at least in my own life, when I can dig up the rocks in my life and I can get the stuff that keeps me away from God out of there, and if I can set it off to the side, many times those things serve as great reminders and boundaries for me. Like, I've been there. I've done that. I mean, maybe that's too abstract and too visual for you. I don't know. But for me to know that, like, to to be surrounded by people who are constantly digging rocks up in their life and be able to come together and be like, look, let's just leave our rocks here. We don't need that. The cool thing is that it can build a wall that can, can protect us in the end. But Jesus says that some people's hearts are like rocky soil. Verse 14, he says the third type of soil. The seeds also fell among thorns. The thorns stand for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they don't mature. Some people are surrounded by thorns and weeds. And it's not the rocks that are deep within. It's kind of something external. These are the distractions that kind of get our attention and they pull us in the opposite direction. They can kind of choke us out and rob us of our joy. It's interesting that Jesus says both worries and pleasures. Look at that; it says life's worries and its pleasures. These are the thorns. These are the weeds. So on one hand, you got the worries. We just talked two weeks ago about worry and anxiety and how heavy that is in our life. And some of those things can distract us. But then sometimes there's the pleasures. I mean, I got the new Xbox. I got the new couch. I got the heating and air conditioning in my house. Kick my feet up. What do I need? We did our life that could just choke the life out of us. And we're sitting by and we're doing nothing. Well, meanwhile, God's saying, I got a plan for you to thrive. I, I, I see a lot of people in my life who they want to grow, they want to thrive, but the reality is they're just booked. Like, man, I really would love to let God have do something in my life, but maybe I'll be. How about Thursday? I can book you on Thursday, maybe about half an hour after lunch. We can kind of get in there and maybe do a little quick Bible study, be out of there. Like there are so many things that can choke the life out of us. And they are thorns and there are weeds and they are distractions and they can keep us from growing. Here's what I've seen. Sometimes the thorns and weeds in our life, they're there and they can grow up along beside us until we become comfortable with them and then they take over. And I want to give you a visual for that. Have you ever seen those vines that grow all over the mountains of the south, like in the mountains of North Carolina, Tennessee. It's called kudzu. we Have seen kudzu? Here's a picture. I got a picture, I think. Check this out. That's kudzu. That's kudzu. That's a house. See it? Can you see the house shape? Okay, um, let me tell you a story about kudzu. Kudzu is not native to North Carolina. Uh, it's, not, it's not a naturally occurring plant here. It comes from, uh, from China and Japan. This is how it got here. In 1876, to celebrate the 100 year of America, um, the Japanese government sent us a beautiful garden of plants, including kudzu. Thank you, Japan. We appreciate that. And um, people thought it was beautiful. So people like started ordering it and taking it home, put it in their garden. It has kind of a nice little aroma sometimes. And, and it was beautiful in their gardens. It would cover things. Oh, that's beautiful. And then they found that the livestock liked to eat it better than some of the other stuff that they were feeding it. So they're like, brilliant. This stuff grows like crazy. We could feed like hundreds of cows. And so they start selling it and shipping it all over the place and planting it everywhere, doing fields of kudzu. In fact, in the 1930s, conservationists learned that kudzu was great for preventing erosion in the mountains. And so the government literally paid people to go to the mountains in the south and plant kudzu along the paths so that it would grow up and prevent erosion. It wasn't until 1953 that the vine was officially recognized as a destructive weed by the Department of Agriculture and people were forced to stop planting it. But by then, the damage was already done. See, kudzu grows at, oh, I didn't write this thing down, it, it, it grows at something like a foot and a half a week, I think. The taproot of a kudzu can be like seven inches wide, and one plant itself can weigh over 400 pounds. Over the course of a summer, it can consume an entire tree. It's insane, this kudzu. Now, here's the thing it's a beautiful plant. Sometimes something so small, it can seem so harmless at first. You plant it in your garden, you feed it to your cows and your goats, and you're unaware that it is absolutely destructive. You know what Jesus says will do this to you? He says life's worries, riches, and pleasures. What he's saying is we can't thrive off of our worries. We can't thrive off of our riches and pleasures. There's something else. Because those things left unchecked will consume us. The goal is to thrive, not just survive, not just get by. And Jesus is teaching that something that will kill your spiritual growth faster than anything else uh, is rocks in the soil that we don't dig up. And distractions like weeds that will choke us out because we just don't get rid of them and we rely more on them than we do on his truth. And that brings us to the fourth soil. The fourth soil Jesus talks about, verse 15 of Luke chapter 8. He says, but the seed on good soil, it stands for those who, with a noble and good heart. Those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Let me read that again. But the seed on good soil stands for those who with noble and good heart hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. This last soil is ideal. It's good soil. Each of these soils represents a state of our heart. But the ideal is to have a soil where God's truth can grow. And so this is kind of my my closing question. How do we get to that place where we have a noble and good heart? I, I appreciate that Jesus doesn't say these are perfect people. And then God's truth can grow and only perfect people and perfect people can change the world. No, it's people who have a noble and good heart. Would it be fair to say that noble and good people make mistakes? Sure, absolutely, guilty. And so I love that Jesus says it's the people with a noble and good heart. Maybe you're feeling like you can relate to one of these things. And I love this phrase that Jesus uses. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. It's, it's an old uh, idiom that was used a lot, in, especially by old rabbi, teachers from the Jewish world. Um, and it reminds me of my children. Because a lot of times, uh, my children do not hear me. <laughs> they're not, they do not hear me. And like, so I'll give you an example. Like they'll be sitting in the living room. Maybe they're watching something on TV. And has uh, and, and just finished the laundry. She got it all folded up. And, she's, and I say, all right, guys, laundry's folded. Stop watching TV. Go pick up your laundry. Take it to your room. Any parents in the house ever had this moment? Okay? It's just a simple thing. This is what you need. And you're just like, okay, take take to laundry. And, and, and here's my kids. They're like, staring at the TV. They're like zombies. They're drooling. They got, I'm wondering if I need to call the hospital because I'm thinking they're not responding. Do we need to do CPR? Yo, yo, hey, hey. And they're like, huh? Hey, yeah, can you grab your laundry? Just pause Just pause the movie. Grab your laundry. You can come right back. It's okay. It's movie time. It's fine. But if you can just real quick, grab your laundry, take it to your room. They're just like, hey, hey, hey. And they just sit there. Nothing happens. I've had this with my kids so many times. I'm like, hey, are you listening to me? Yeah, I'm listening to you. And then this is the phrase. And I feel like my mom when I say stuff like this. I know you're listening, but do you hear what I'm saying? You know, your mom already said that to you. And so I said, I know you're listening, but do you hear what I'm saying? What does that mean? What it means is, if you hear me, I'm expecting you to put into action something. Right? Go pick up your laundry. Carry it to your room, put it away, then watch the movie. I know you're listening, but do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus says, anyone who has an ear, let them hear. Equivalent statement. I know that you're listening, but do you hear what I'm saying? And what he says is, our hearts are like soil for his truth. And it's possible that your soil is not as good and noble as you hope it is. There's rocks in there that need to be dug out. And maybe it's sin in your life. Maybe there's things thing that you're just intentionally packing down there because you kind of like it. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Jesus said it. It's not my words. It's him. Get mad at him. He said, look, when when the truth of God comes into your life, the roots go down into that soil. But they hit up against that rock and they can't set root. And so the plant dies. You got some rocky soil. Yes, we all do. Thorns? Weeds? We have distractions in our life that keep us from growing fully in God? Yeah. Yeah, but do you hear what Jesus is saying? We've got to pull the kudzu out, or our house is going to look like uh, I don't even have a good joke. Like it's going to look like that. <laughs> our house is going to look like that, covered in kudzu. Our life is going to be covered with distraction. We're going to be so busy we don't know what to do, and then when we make a tally at the end of our life, how our life went, we'll go, I guess we just survived. We just got by. I'm not sure that we really thrived in God the way that he wanted us to. Why? Thorns grew up and they choked out the life. Or is it good soil? Some of us have been blessed with good soil. Like you just maybe you just grew up in a good home. Some of you are young enough now that like you haven't really gone off and done anything crazy. And, and you, God kind of got a hold of you young enough. And you're like, I'm going to prevent all the stupid that I was going to do. I'm just not going to do it. And that's great. But th- this, this is the thing. This is what I love. This is the, the most redeeming factor of this whole story. Have you ever raised a garden? My wife and I have done it several times in different climates. We've had some where our soil was so hard, it was rock solid, and, and, and we, had, we couldn't plant in the soil right there. We've had some where, literally, we were in a house in Norfolk where we dug it all up and we planted the garden, but what we didn't know was that there were like 500 generations of other plants in that soil. They all came up with our garden. like, oh, hey, tomatoes and oak tree, cool. Um, and that's just the way it was. And so what, what do you do? Do you just say, oh, too bad, no garden for us? Here's your word cultivate you cultivate you, di- you dig the soil you till it up you turn it over and over and you pick out the weeds and sometimes you got to let the weeds grow up a little bit so they can show their ugly heads again and you pick them up again a- and you never do it all by yourself If you're going to plow several acres of land you're going to get a team together who's your team who's your family who are your farm hands are there people in your life maybe it's your small group maybe it's your neighbors maybe it's your family maybe it's your spouse maybe it's your kids guys you know what we got some rocks we need to dig up in this family we got some thorns we need to get rid of. we got some scheduling things we need to reallocate. I want to thrive. Not just survive. And over the course of the next several weeks, my goal is to paint a picture of how we as a church community, as individuals and as a community, we can say, let's take these steps to grow. Not just to sit here and kind of of be mellow. Man, we've got this opportunity. We've moved to a new location on Sunday mornings. What does that mean? What does it mean to your small group? Maybe you've been looking for a great way to just kind of show and be an expression of God's love. Maybe for your small group, you go, can we just call up to the school and see if there's just some volunteering they need to have out there? It's not one of the church's three initiatives. It's not the Nourish and see or the YMCA or Visual Hope. Can we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Go thrive. Go out and thrive in the community. Do things. I got, I got this thing going on with my kid. We just don't talk. Well, here's what you do. You make a date with your kid and you talk to him. And it, I'm gonna make your promise It's going to be awkward. But then you keep trying and you build a relationship and that relationship thrives. But not on the distractions, not on the rocks, but on the truth of God. And you help cultivate their soil. My marriage is a mess. I quit. No, don't quit. Don't quit. Cultivate. Dig in. Get the rocks out. Get the thorns out. This isn't just a big analogy Jesus made. It's a picture of how we can cultivate our lives and thrive with God's truth. Let me just pray for us today. Lord, we love you. And, you know, as things change and uh, we're in different environments, um, I love that you remain the same. Uh, today was just a, uh, a look at a, a lesson you gave once, and um, I just pray that we can continue to return to that. We can go to a place of, you know, what your truth is, and, and we have it sprinkled out into our life, and I just pray that we can prepare the soil. Lord, for the times of my life when I'm a hard Soiled path. I just pray with, uh, man, with just an open heart, God, that you can just help my friends, my family, and, and that you will just come in and dig, dig those hard places out. Let me be receptive to your truth so I can grow. Lord, I thank you for the metaphors that give us pictures to see, but I also just pray for action so that we don't just listen, but we hear what you're trying to tell us. And you say, he who has an ear, let them hear. Help us hear. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.